ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 35, 36, and 37 of The Maze Runner. So where we left off, the sun disappeared and Thomas was like, I wonder if that has anything to do with the girl in my head who telepathically told me that I've triggered the ending. I wonder if there's a link there. Like, yeah, no shit, there's a link there. And so then even though the sun's disappeared, They're going back into the maze because they're like, oh, we've got a day job to do, even though it's not day. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't they like, oh, we can't go into the maze at night because the grievers come out and it's not safe. And yeah, they do hang around in the day, but they're not as active in the day that that it's less common to find them there in the day. But now that the sun's gone, they're still treating it as business as usual, which doesn't make sense to me. So Minnow and Thomas go into the maze. They see a griever acting weird and the griever jumps off the cliff and they're like, huh, huh, and it just disappears. And so we pick up pretty much straight away and Minnow is saying, that settles it. And Thomas is like, whoa, what settles what? And he says, that's three times now, something's up. And Thomas is like, yeah. And the narrator says, Thomas knew what he meant but waited for Minnow's explanation anyway. I don't believe that Thomas does know what Minnow's talking about. I think Thomas is like, yeah, yeah, I totally get it. I get it. But you say what you're thinking just so we're all on the same page. And Minnow says, the dead griever I found ran out this way. Couldn't find it. Never saw it anywhere else. It must have jumped off the cliff. There's also those ones we tricked into jumping past us. And Thomas is like, maybe we didn't trick them. Maybe they wanted to jump off the cliff. And yet, from my memory, it did sort of seem like they got tricked. One of them was like clawing at the cliff, wasn't he? I don't know. But then Minnow's like, and now this? Somehow the Grievers can leave the maze this way. It looks like magic. Okay, so they're not just jumping off the cliff and then disappearing eventually from sightline. They're jumping off and then disappearing mid-jump. They're falling into some sort of little wormhole or griever hole, if you will. And Thomas, ever the daredevil, he's evil Knievel all of a sudden. He wants to leave that way as well. He's thinking maybe I'll just try and jump off and land into this wormhole. And Minnow's like, uh, okay, Deathwish. Want to hang out with the grievers? Have a sandwich, maybe? That's random. What do you want to do? Have a sandwich with the grievers? What? No one mentioned a sandwich. What? So Thomas was like, well, have you got any better ideas? And he's like, yes, I do actually. Let's throw some rocks and see what happens to those rocks first before we jump off a fucking cliff. So then they scrounge around for some rocks. They get a good pile. They sit by the cliff. And Minnow also pulls out his notepad and pencil. 
because he wants to draw diagrams of where they're throwing the rocks. <laughs> he says, if there's some kind of optical illusion hiding an exit from this place, I don't want to be the one who screws up when the first shank tries to jump into it. Fair enough. So they take turns tossing rocks into this random void. I don't know how wide the cliff space is. It mustn't be very wide because they're just going to throw a rock at every little inch. How they're measuring this, I'm not too sure. Minnow's got a notepad, so all of a sudden he knows where they throw the rocks to. So Thomas throws a rock and he says, it fell and disappeared into the gray emptiness. And so then Minnow goes and he throws a rock a foot or so further out than Thomas had. How's he measuring this? Are they just really good at aiming rocks? And then that one fell to the depths. So they continued in a zigzag pattern throwing rocks. <laughs> so stupid. And so they keep going, the rocks just keep falling, 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 falling. They threw enough rocks to cover the entire left half of the area in front of them. According to his little doodles on his piece of paper, they've, they've covered all of it. And Thomas's discouragement grew with every toss until it turned into a heavy mass of blah. Well, who, who wrote this? A heavy mass of blah. But then... Minnow's next rock disappeared. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> they've all disappeared. He's used the exact same word that he used previously to describe the rock disappearing from sight. He said, then it disappeared into the gray emptiness. And now he's like, oh, but the next rock disappeared. They've all fucking disappeared, apparently. They're not hovering in suspension in front of you. So they've all disappeared. But this one disappeared differently. It was the strangest, most hard to believe thing Thomas had ever seen. What? The sun disappeared this morning. You've battled giant blobs of flesh with chainsaws attached to them. And this was the hardest to believe thing he'd ever seen. What? You, you came out of a box with no memory. Some girl in a coma has been communicating with you telepathically. But this rock disappearing, so strange. So the rock had vanished, which is a better word to use than just disappeared. One second it was there falling, next second, gone. Thomas was speechless. He couldn't speak. And Minnow's like, we've thrown stuff off the cliff before. How did we miss this? And Thomas says, do it again. Maybe we blinked weird or something. Oh, so we can speak. <laughs> Thomas couldn't speak. Second later, dialogue. And so then Minnow throws a rock again at the same spot. He's got very spectacular aim. And once again, it winked out of existence. So then they keep throwing rocks, aiming at the original spot, this original piece of air that they're throwing at, and then they're aiming at every inch around it. How, how are they doing this? And the spot proved to only be a few feet square. And Minnow's like, oh, no wonder we missed it. It's kind of small. And Thomas said, the grievers must barely fit through that thing. Yeah, how do they fit through that thing? I thought they were huge. But they're thinking the grievers balance on the edge of the cliff and jump aiming for that spot. And Thomas says, it's not magic. It must be something like our sky turning gray, some kind of optical illusion or hologram hiding a doorway. <laughs> and Thomas is thinking it's kind of cool actually. And then his mind craved to know what kind of technology could be behind it all. What? Just get out of the fucking maze. He likes the maze. It's really creepy. He's feeling home sweet home in his maze sweet maze. And so then Minnow's like, all right, well, let's go. We've got to keep running the maze. What? Surely you're going to call it a day. With that discovery... No, they don't... Oh, they don't call it a day. They then go and continue to run the rest of the maze. And Minnow says, at least now we know where the shut grievers go. And Thomas says, and probably where they come from. 
Wait, what? If they have to dangle precariously over a cliff and then launch themselves into this secret little window spot, how are they then climbing out of that little pocket and jumping back onto the cliff when they've got nothing to jump off from? Oh, this is where the gravers come from. Is it, Thomas? Is it? And then he just calls it the Graver Hole. Proper noun, of course. Capital T, capital G, capital H. The Graver Hole. Not my favourite little nickname. So then they go and do their maze running. And yeah, they don't find anything. Big surprise. So they go back to the glade. A sombre mood rested over the glade. An easy thing to happen when all is grey. <laughs> so then Minnow heads for the map room. And Thomas is like, what? Aren't you dying to tell Newton and Albie about the Graver Hole? <laughs> I'm going to laugh every time he says grieve a hole. And Minnow's like, no, we've got a job to do. We've got to go to the map room. We're runners. But all right, let's make it quick, actually. So then we can go and talk to them. So they meet up with all the other runners who are in the map room, mapping out their maps. And no one says anything. How dull to be in that map room. Thomas was like craving to be in that map room. And now that he's there, he's like bored. And Thomas, as usual is an amalgamation of many different emotions. It says the hopelessness in the room made Thomas feel as if he were walking through mud thick water, but he was excited. (laughs) He couldn't wait to see Newt's and Albie's reactions to the news about the cliff. He's feeling helpless, but also excited. So he's drawing the map and Minnow's giving directions being like, hey, make that line straighter, you shank. Nah, what's your proportions, shank? And then 15 minutes later, he's examining his finished product and pride washed through him. He was like, oh, it's just as good as any other map I'd seen. The things he cares about. And Minnow's like, not bad for a greenie anyway. So then Minnow goes up to their trunk and he opens it and takes out the map from the day before and held it up side by side with the one that Thomas had just drawn. And he's like, yeah, I'm looking for patterns. What? What? Why was Thomas not using the previous map as a base for this map? I thought that was... The plan. Mino said he runs around and he just makes minor notes to base it off of yesterday's map. But then he also made Thomas freehand it. That's crazy. And Mino's looking at them and he's like, oh, I don't see a pattern. The pattern repeats every month. I don't know why you're looking at just yesterday's. and And you've just made a discovery. Who cares? And then Thomas had an itch in the back of his mind and he's thinking, oh, I remember something. Oh, something about the maze walls moving and patterns. Oh, I'm missing something obvious. And he doesn't remember. So I don't know why we had to read about that. It's not foreshadowing just to say that he doesn't remember something. So then they leave the map room and Newton and Albie walk up to them. And Minnow's like, oh, hey, I'm just about to come see you guys. And Albie's like, get to the fucking point. He's like, the sun's disappeared. There's no time for pleasantries, please. Did you find anything? And Minnow's like, oh gosh, he's a bit rude. He says, nice to see you too. And yeah, we did find something actually. So he's like, you want to be rude to me? I'm going to be smug. And then Albie was like, oh, because this whole shuck place has fallen to pieces. And he shoots Thomas a nasty glare as if it were all his fault, which it might be. I mean, could you blame the guy? And Thomas is like, what's wrong with him? Um, he went through the changing just like two days ago. And then the sun disappeared. And Minnow's like, what's going on? Has something else happened? And Newt says, yeah. The supplies didn't come today. Every week for two years, same time, same day, but not today. And so they all look at the box in the ground. And Thomas is like, oh no. And Minnow says, we're shucked for good now. Well, actually, Thomas didn't realise yet how bad it was because (laughs) Minnow saying that alerted Thomas to how grave the situation really was. (laughs) 
Oh, he's good at picking up social cues. And Newt says, yeah, no sun for the plants. No supplies from the box. Yeah, I'd say we're shucked, all right. And Minna goes, well, okay, well, anyway, we found something weird. And it says, Minnow took a full three minutes to explain. (laughs) Why do we need to know it takes a whole three minutes? That's crazy. And Minnow says the hole must lead to where the grievers live. And Thomas pipes up and he goes, yeah, the griever hole. That's what everyone's calling it, the griever hole. I mean, I coined it, like no big deal. But yeah, it's called the griever hole. Spread it. And then all three of them looked at him annoyed as if he had no right to speak. Hilarious. He is annoying. He's like, it's the Graver Hull. Like, does that matter right now, actually, that you've named it? It doesn't matter. And Minnow says, maybe we could build something to block off that corridor that leads to the cliff. And Newt says, that's not going to work. The shock things can climb the bloody walls, remember? Nothing we could build would keep them out. But then there's a commotion outside the homestead. And they're like, oh, what? What's going on? And Chuck comes running out and he says, she's awake. The girl's awake. And Thomas is like, oh no. He's like, oh God, she's going to tell everyone that she's been talking telepathically with me and that she's the end of days and it's all my fault. Oh God. Thomas just really wants to fit in. It's like, do you not want to escape this experiment? But no, he just wants to fit in. And then she speaks in his mind and she says, Tom, I don't know any of these people. Come get me. It's all fading. I'm forgetting everything but you. I have to tell you things, but it's all fading. And then she paused and she said, the maze is a code, Tom. The maze is a code. Okay. All right. That's something new. Okay. End of chapter. Let's go to chapter 36. And Thomas is (laughs) like ignoring her. He's like, I don't want to see her. Don't want to talk to her. So he slips away and he goes to his little special spot. He calls it his place of seclusion behind the deadhead forest. Even though multiple people have bumped into him there and know that that's where he hangs out, but it's his place of seclusion. And his blanket's still there. So he just nestles into the ivy, throws his blanket over himself, and he's like, oh, I've got to get away from this Teresa bitch. Can't handle it. But then he hears someone say, forgetting about you was the worst part. And he's like, is that in my head? Actually, I don't think that's in my head. And then he lowers the blanket. He must have had the blanket over his face. So he lowers the blanket and there's Teresa. She found him. Don't know how she did it, but she found him in in his secluded spot that no one ever knows about. She found him. Wow. She's got good instincts. And Thomas is getting a look at her and talk about male gaze. It's actually really creepy. He's like, oh, she looks so different now. Awake and alert and standing. (laughs) And standings in italics because he's never seen a stand up before. And he's like, wow, she looks good standing. Wearing a long sleeved white shirt, blue jeans and brown shoes. She looked impossibly even more striking than when he'd seen her in the coma. Black hair framed the fair skin of her face with eyes the blue of pure flame. What? She looks more striking now than she did in her coma. Isn't that crazy that she'd look more striking now when she's healthy and awake and standing up than when she was passed out. That's creepy to me. I don't trust this Thomas. Also a long sleeved white shirt, blue jeans and brown shoes. And he's like flawed. He's like, whoa, who's this runway model that's just come up to me in the maze. Jeez Louise. All right, Elle McPherson, stop dazzling me, doll. And she says, Tom, do you really not remember me? And he says, you mean you remember me? because he's also embarrassed at the squeak that escaped on the last word. He says, you remember me? And like, yes, she's um, been talking to you telepathically and has indicated as much. 
what makes you think that she doesn't remember you? She, she knows your name. And she's like, yeah, sort of. I, I can't really explain it, but I remember remembering. Oh boy. Feelings, emotions, like I have all these shelves in my head labeled for memories and faces, but they're empty. As if everything before this is just on the other side of a white curtain, including you. And he's like, yeah, but how do you know me? He's like, bring it back to me. I'm the protagonist. And she says, I don't know. Something about before we came to the maze, something about us. And he says, you know about the maze? What? You just woke up. Yeah, she's been communicating to you telepathically. She says, I don't know. It's all very confusing, but I know you're my friend. And she held out a hand. And so then he shakes her hand and he says, I like how you call me Tom. What a, what a great opening line, Thomas. <laughs> I'm sure she's enamored. And she's like, yeah, that's your name, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, but most people call me Thomas, except for Newt. He calls me Tommy, but Tom makes me feel like I'm at home or something. And then he's like, are we messed up or what? And then she's like, yeah, we are. And then they have a good laugh about it. What the fuck? And so then she goes, yeah, I am. I am messed up. And also I'm scared. Okay. So conversational whiplash here. We're just going from flirty banter to just revealing her deepest insecurities. And he says, so am I, trust me. And then the narrator says, which was definitely the understatement of the day. Is it the understatement of the day? Oh, I don't know. Who measures these things? Understatement of the day. Is there a comparative list? And then he says, hey, um, how did you talk inside my head? Like that was crazy. And she, she responds telepathically and she says, no idea. I can just do it. She says, it's like if you tried to ride a bicycle here, if they had one, I bet you could do it without thinking. But do you remember learning to ride one? Um, those are completely different things. <laughs> oh yeah, I can just telepathically communicate with you. It's just like riding a bike. Nah, it's not. And he's like, oh, actually I do remember riding a bike, but not learning. <sighs> That's not that uncommon. Like I don't remember learning to ride a bike because I learned when I was a kid. I don't have those memories anymore because of all the alcohol I've drunk. But how do you remember riding one? You, you're not meant to have memories. You shouldn't even know what a bike is. And she goes, well, anyway, it's just like that. And he goes, really clears things up. Like, okay, sarcastic Sally, just tone it back. And he says, we need to figure things out. That weird note you had about being the last person to ever come here, your coma. He's saying your coma, like it's her fault. Your coma. How dare you have that coma? The fact that you can talk to me telepathically, what's going on? And she says, save your breath and quit asking. Oh, love that. She's already annoyed at him. She has been awake for five minutes and she's already clocked him as being that annoying guy that asks too many questions. She's got his number. She says, all I have are faint impressions that you and I were important, that we were used somehow, that we're smart and we came here for a reason. I triggered the ending, whatever that meant. She seems to know a lot. She's like, I don't know much. I don't know much, but we're brainiacs. Uh, we've been sent here for a purpose and we're special and important. And we trigger the ending as well, by the way. But then she goes, oh, my memories are as useless as yours. They don't sound that useless. And he's like, well, actually, you did know a lot of stuff when you woke up that you probably shouldn't have. Like you knew that my mind had been wiped. So you're way ahead of me and everybody else. And then she says, in his mind, she goes, I just don't know. And he goes, hey, how'd you do that? Have we not covered this? And she goes, I just do it. I bet you can too. It's like riding a bike. And he's like, well, I'm not too anxious to try. Of course. He's going to try in like three minutes. Yeah. And he says, you said something to me in my head right before you found me. You said the maze is a code. What did you mean? 
And she goes, I don't know. <laughs> she says, when I first woke up, it was like I'd entered an insane asylum. All these memories swirling in my brain. I tried to reach out and grasp a few, and that was one of them. I can't really remember why I said it. And he's like, geez, anything else? And she goes, actually, yeah. And so she pulls up the sleeve of her left arm, exposing her bicep. And small letters were written across the skin in thin black ink. And he says, what is it? She goes, read it yourself. And so she flashes a bicep at him and it says, Wicked is good. And no, Wicked's great. It's a fabulous musical. And Thomas is like, what? I've seen that word, Wicked. (sighs) You also remember riding a bike. So I'm not surprised that you remember the word Wicked. But then he searched his mind for what the phrase could possibly mean. What? Do you actually not know the definition of the word wicked? Or or do you just not know the context? What? Oh, what does it mean? It means wicked. And he says, oh my God, that's written on the little lizard-like machines that spy on us for the creators. Who are the people who sent us here? Now he's given her the brief. And Teresa's like, hmm, don't remember why I wrote this actually. But don't let me forget it. It has to mean something. And he says, well, then when did you write it? And she says, when I woke up, they had a pen and notepad next to the bed. In the commotion, I wrote it down. Okay, let's explore this for a minute. So she sees a pen and a notepad next to her. And so she doesn't think to maybe like pull out a piece of paper from that notepad and write it there. She doesn't think to write it on the palm of her hand. Like that's where most people I feel leave notes, but she's like, you know what? I'll write it on my bicep. What, what a psycho. No one in the history of the world has ever written something on their bicep unless it's a tattoo. A notepad was right there. And Thomas, he's baffled as well. He's like, wow, everything about you is weird. You know that, right? And she says, judging by your little hiding spot, which I intuitively knew how to get to, I'd say you're not so normal yourself. You like living in the woods, do ya? We're back to the flirting. Back to the flirting. And Thomas says, well... You look familiar to me and you claim that we're friends. So I guess I'll trust you. Oh, easy as that. And so then they shake hands again. And when they touch, a chill swept through Thomas that was surprisingly pleasant. What a creep. And Thomas is like, well, you know what? You picked a bad time to come because the sun disappeared. The sky's gone gray. They're not sending us weekly supplies. Looks like things are going to end one way or another. And then Newt runs upon them and he's like, how'd you get here? Medjack said you were there one second and bug and gone the next. And Teresa's like, well, actually, what he's not telling you is that I kicked him in the nuts and then I climbed out the window. And Thomas almost laughed. Thomas's sense of humor is always a bit janky. Oh, and the boy whose nuts she kicked is also there. And he goes bright red. And Newt says, congrats, Jeff. You're officially the first guy here to get your butt beat by a girl. Okay, great. People have been killed by grievers, yeah, but let's focus on this guy getting his nuts kicked. Just because she's a girl. And Teresa's, she's not into this casual sexism. She says, hey, keep talking like that and you'll be next. So she's going to go on a nut kicking spree. And then Albie, oh God, Albie's there too. What a reunion. So then he says, I'm sick of this. And he's pointing at Thomas's chest. And he says, I want to know who you are, who this shank girl is, and how you guys know each other. And Thomas is like, oh God, this again, I don't remember. And he says, she came straight to you after waking up, shuck face. Do you know how that looks? And Thomas is like, so what? So what, okay? I know her, she knows me, who cares? That doesn't mean anything. I can't remember anything. Even though I know her, I can't remember her. And then Albie all of a sudden is looking at Teresa and he says, what did you do? And Thomas is like, huh? And Albie says, what did you do? First the sky, now this. And she goes, I triggered something. (laughs) She replied in a calm voice. 
Um, I'd maybe ease them into that, but she's like, nah, I triggered something. What of it? I triggered the end of days. Why do you ask? She says, yeah, I, I didn't trigger her on purpose, but uh, it's called the ending. I don't know what it means. No one knows the definition of any words. I mean, you can kind of make an educated guess at what the ending might mean, but she's like, yeah, well, I triggered the ending. What are you going to do? And Thomas is like, what guys, what's going on? What's happened? And Albie says, I'll tell you what happened. Oh, and he grabs him by the shirt. He says, you Shank, you're too busy making lovey eyes to bother looking around, to bother noticing what freaking time it is. And Thomas, he probably forgot he had a watch because he just got given the watch, but then he looks at his watch and he realizes with horror what he'd missed. And Albie says, the walls, you shuck, the doors, they didn't close tonight. End of chapter. Oh my God. So now the doors aren't opening. Ooh, boy. What a shit fight they're in for because the grievers who come out at night, even though it's been nighttime all day, they can now come and attack. So we start chapter 37 with Thomas speechless again. What's the bet he's going to start talking in like two seconds, but yeah, he's speechless and he's like, oh no, everything would be different now. No sun, no supplies, no protection from the grievers. We're fucked. And so then Albie's pointing at the girl and he says, I want her locked up now. Billy Jackson put her in the slam. So everybody's here. Everybody rocked up to this little confrontation. Billy Jackson put her in the slammer and ignore every word that comes out of her shuck mouth. And Thomas is like, what are you talking about, Albie? You can't. Okay, so he's not speechless. He says, what are you talking about, Albie? You can't. How could you possibly blame her for the walls not closing? Maybe because she literally just said, oh, I triggered it. I triggered the ending, soz. And he's like, what? What makes you think she did it? The confession, perhaps? And Newt's like, Tommy, mate. She bloody admitted it herself. And then Thomas turns to look at Teresa and paled at the sadness in her blue eyes. It felt like something had reached through his chest and squeezed his heart. Ya just met. Ya just met. You need to cool it. You're not in love with this girl. She's not your soulmate. Just relax. So then Billy and Jackson, two characters we've never met before, they escort Teresa to the slammer. And so Teresa walks away with them. And it hurt Thomas even more to see how willingly she went. What? Now he's got abandonment issues? What? What the? And he couldn't believe how sad he felt. What? He wanted to keep talking to her. And then he's like, but I just met her. I don't even know her. And then he's like, you know what? No, that's not true. I feel a closeness that could have only come from knowing her before the memory wipe. Okay, this relationship's moving faster than lesbians. I'm sorry. But then she says to him in her mind, she says, come see me. And so then he tries He's like, I will, at least you'll be safe in there. But she doesn't respond. And he's like, Teresa, and then nothing. So obviously he's just thinking to himself. And the next 30 minutes were an eruption of mass confusion. Okay. Though there had been no discernible change in the light since the sun and blue sky hadn't appeared. Oh God, this is clunky. Though there had been no discernible change in the light since the sun and blue sky hadn't appeared that morning, it still felt like a darkness spread over the glade. Which it didn't. So basically... It felt like a darkness had spread over the glade, but it, that didn't happen because the darkness had spread earlier. It'd been dark all day. And so then the builders were tasked to put up barricades at each open door. And what? Like Albie and Newt just said last chapter, they were like, why would we build a blockade up against that corridor leading towards the cliff? The gravers know how to climb. And now they're like, yeah, well got to do something. So they're building a barricade. And even Thomas is like, that's not going to do any good. Even though he also had the idea to build a barricade just last chapter. So everyone's perspectives have shifted. Or James Dashner's just 
forgotten who had what stance and they've just swapped. And so Thomas helps and they're gathering each loose item that they can, piling it between the gaps, nailing things together. And Thomas is thinking, no way that's going to keep the gravers out. And so everyone's busy. People are running around. They're all going to move into the homestead for the night. And Frypan's task was to take all the non-perishable food out of the kitchen and store it in the homestead in case they got trapped there. Is the kitchen not a part of the homestead? Are we dealing with a freestanding kitchen? What the what? And so other people are carrying tools, supplies. Minnow's got the weapons from the basement. The ones where he was like, it's too risky. We can't let every other shank get access to the weapons. Now he's just running around with weapons, presumably handing them out, being like, here's your arms, boys. And so then Thomas is helping Minnow carry stuff. But then Newt comes up to Minnow and says, he's got a task for Minnow. And he tells Thomas to get lost, refusing to answer any of his questions, which we know, we could guess, would have been a lot. He would have had a lot of questions. So I don't feel bad for Thomas getting told to rack off. But this hurt Thomas's feelings. God, he's fragile. He's so fragile. You're not a keeper. You've only been here a week. You're a shank. You're a greeny shank. Why do you think you deserve to be told every piece of information? You're not one of the leadership. So then he finds Newt. And he's like, oh, hey, Newt. You got to hear me out. You got to let this girl go. (laughs) And Newt's like, oh, okay. So you are buddies now. And he says, don't waste my time, Tommy. And he goes, I think she and I were sent here to help end this whole thing. And he grabs his arm. He's like, listen to me. There's something about her. She and I are special. Okay, if you were sent there to end the whole thing by the creators, why did they wipe your memory? None of that's making sense. And Thomas is saying that he doesn't think the walls not closing means that the grievers will come in and kill everyone and that that's the ending. What the fuck's he talking about? I don't think that's what it means, the walls not closing. And Newt can't understand either. He goes, Greeny, what are you yapping about? And ever since Thomas had seen the words on the wall of the maze, world in catastrophe, kill zone experiment department, he'd been thinking about them. Oh, here we go. (laughs) He says, I think, I think we're here as part of some weird experiment. Where'd you get that idea from the word experiment? He's like, oh, I've got a hunch. I've got a hunch that we're here as part of an experiment. And this experiment is supposed to end. We can't live here forever. Whoever sent us here wants it to end one way or another. And Newt is just so tired. He goes, and that's supposed to convince me that everything's jolly, that I should let the girl go. And he goes, no, you're missing the point. I don't think she has anything to do with us being here. She's just a pawn. They sent her here as our last tool or hint or whatever to help us get out. Oh, Jiminy Crickets. And then Thomas says, and I think they sent me too. (laughs) Because I'm special. Just because she was the trigger for the ending doesn't make her bad. Well... I don't know. And Newt says, you know what? I don't bug and care. She can handle one night in the slammer. If anything, she'll be safer than us. And Thomas is like, all right, fine. Let her get through tonight. And then tomorrow we can figure out what we're supposed to do and what we're meant to do with her. And Newt's like, Tommy, what's going to make tomorrow any different? It's been two bloody years, you know. Also, you're kind of banking on the fact that a griever's not going to come right up to the slammer and kill her. The grievers have weapons in their flesh. I imagine they can knock a door down. So Nude had just asked what's different. It's been two years. And Thomas had an overwhelming feeling that all of these changes were a catalyst for the end game. And he says, because now we have to solve it. We'll be forced to. (sighs) They've been trying to solve it for two years. And Nude's like, okay, 
He says, all right, so maybe we should dig deeper and stay out there in the maze while the walls move. And Thomas goes, yeah, exactly. Even though the walls have stopped moving. Or maybe the walls are still moving, but it's just the doors that aren't closing. Anyway, they're assuming that the walls still move out there, even though I don't think they've checked. Thomas is like, yeah, let's do it. Maybe we could barricade or blow up the entrance to the Griever hole. Got him in a barricade. He both thinks they're the most brilliant things, but he also thinks they're the worst idea ever. And Newt says, well, anyway, Albie's the one who won't let the girl out. That guy's not too high on you two shanks. Understandably. Hashtag team Albie, I get it. But Newt's like, right now we just need to slim ourselves and get to the wake up. Slim ourselves, I think, means prepare. And Thomas goes, yeah, we'll just fight him off. And Newt says, done it before, haven't you, Hercules? Which I don't know if he's trying to be sarcastic because he has fought off a griever before. So then Newt walks off and Thomas is happy with the conversation. He's like, oh, that went well. Teresa's still in prison, but yeah, oh, that went well. So then he runs for the slammer to go and do a little pop-in for Teresa. And so he goes to the barred window of the lightless cell and he says, Teresa, and then her face popped up on the other side, startling him. And he let out a small yelp before he could stop. It took him a second to recover his wits. And he says, you could be downright spooky, you know. What? You knew she was in there. How are you surprised? Hey, Teresa. And she's like, yes. And he's like, ah, ah, you spooked me. What? How are you shocked? So yeah, he says, you're spooky. And she goes, that's very sweet. Thanks. And he goes, you're welcome. And he says, he answered, ignoring her sarcasm, even though he's also being sarcastic. He says, listen, I've been thinking. And she goes, more than I can say for that Albie schmuck. Oh, okay. So she's saying schmuck. She knows our lingo. She's not saying shuck or shank. She's saying schmuck. That's one of the ones we know. That's good. And Thomas agreed that Albie was a schmuck, even though he probably doesn't know what schmuck means. Anyway, who who the schmuck cares? He says, there's got to be a way out of this place. We just have to push it, stay out in the maze longer. And what you wrote on your arm (laughs) and what you said about a code, it all has to mean something. I don't know. (sighs) I don't know. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I've been thinking that too. But I'm in the slammer. Maybe could you get me out of here, please? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe tomorrow. And she puts her hands on the windowsill and Thomas felt the ridiculous urge to reach out and touch them. They are falling in love quicker than bloody Maria and Tony from the West Side Story. And I also hope he ends up like Tony at the end of West Side Story. Rest in peace. And she's like, yeah, all right. It'll be fun sleeping on this cold floor. Although I guess a griever can't squeeze through the window, so I'll be right. And he's like, huh, I didn't know she knew about grievers. And he says, Teresa, are you sure you've forgotten everything? And she's like, oh, I guess I do remember some stuff. Why does he trust her? I would not be trusting this bitch. No way. Not going to catch me organizing a prison break for some girl I just met. I'm sorry. No, thank you. You're not going to get one past me, Teresa. She's like, maybe I just heard people while I was in the coma. Uh, yeah, pull the other one. And he goes, oh yeah, okay, whatever. Anyway, I just wanted to see you before I go inside for the night, you know, into my relative safety while you're out here in the slammer. And it says, but he didn't want to leave. He almost wished he could get thrown in the slammer with her. He grinned inside. He grinned inside. How do you do that? He, I guess, (sighs) that one stumped me. He grinned inside. Um, okay. And he's like now daydreaming, imagining what Newt's response would be to him asking to go into the slammer. And he must just be off with the fairies. And Teresa's like, I'm Tom, Earth to Tom. And he's like, oh yeah. 
She says, I don't know if I could be in this jail or not. I don't know if I can do this. And then Thomas felt an incredible sadness. God, he's got the hots for her. And he says, look, at least it won't get completely dark. Looks like we're stuck with this twilight junk 24 hours a day now. And she's like, yeah, I guess. She's like, oh, good point. That does make me feel better about being in the slammer. She goes, okay, well, thanks. Yeah, I guess I'm a tough girl. I'll be all right. And he says, yeah, and I'll make sure they let you out first thing tomorrow. I think Newt just fobbed you off being like, yeah, we'll talk about it tomorrow. And he's just accepted that and turned it into, oh, she's getting released tomorrow morning first thing. Like, I don't, I don't really think that that's been confirmed. And she's like, oh yeah, that's a promise, right? And he's like, yeah, it's a promise. You can't be making these promises, Thomas. And he says, and if you get lonely, you can talk to me with your little mind trick and I'll try and answer back. And then he has a go, but he doesn't do anything. And she says, you'll get it soon. And she says that in his head. And then he's like, okay, all right, we'll see you tomorrow. And now he's smiling on the outside. He's not grinning inside anymore. He's grinning on the outside, which is easier to do. So then he goes into the homestead, just la da dee la da da And then Newt shuts it behind him because they ferried everybody in and they latched the door shut. And then Thomas thought he heard the first eerie moan of the grievers coming from somewhere deep in the maze. The night had begun. End of chapter. And I know you're trying to end on a cliffhanger, but no, the night had begun last night. You didn't have daylight today. So the night's been going on for like 48 hours. Anyway, that's that. I'm sincerely hoping that the grievers do come and kill them all. Fingers crossed, everybody. And I'll see you next week for hopefully their death and funeral. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>